I wonder if, if you could have been with Jesus while he was on this planet, and you could have been at an event, what event would you have chosen? I mean, I think it would be really interesting to do a little survey. Because I, I'm going to guess that some would say, I would have liked to have been at Jesus' birth. would have loved to have been at Bethlehem and seen God in the flesh for the first time. Others might say, you know, I would have liked to have been at the tomb of Lazarus. Jesus' good friend, when, when he called him back to life out of that grave. Some would say, I'd like to have been on the boat when Jesus spoke and he calmed the storm. Or maybe that morning that Jesus burst from the tomb to have been in the garden that first morning. And because I know many of you, I know right away some of you are going, well, I would have liked to have been at the miracle at the wedding where he turned water into wine. (laughs) Right? You're going, free wine, free wine. That was good, you know. I think it would have been amazing to have maybe tagged along with Jesus and and Peter, James, and John and been on that mountaintop where the story is told in Matthew 17. Scripture says that at the top of that mountain, Jesus was transfigured. Metamorphosis is the word. To to change forms. Jesus changed forms. And in a moment, Scripture says his face shone like the sun. His clothes were dazzling white. And for just a moment, just a brief moment, the glory of God that had been veiled in the flesh of Jesus just leaped out for a moment. And if that wasn't enough, Elijah, who we did our series several uh, ago on Elijah, Elijah and Moses come down from heaven And they're having a conversation with Jesus. And then there's a voice from heaven, from Jesus' father, saying, this is my son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. I mean, it must have been something to have been there. You ever ever had a moment like that? A a moment that's so majestic, that's so incredible, that that it just leaves you speechless. You, You just have to take it in. This is one of those moments. You know, in that moment, in the midst of it, Peter, who Peter always has to say something, and he he jumps before he thinks about it. But Peter, in this spectacular moment, with unbelievable eloquence, he says, it's good to be here. And then Peter's mind starts racing and he starts thinking maybe he could build some makeshift shelters for for Jesus and Moses and Elijah because he didn't want to leave the mountaintop. I mean, you ever had a mountaintop experience? How many of you have ever had one of those? I mean, it's a spiritual significant experience and our natural response to those moments when we're in them is let me stay here. I just want to stay here. I mean, those moments are are great. The the fact is that we can have those moments. They're a good thing. But we do not live on the mountaintop. We don't live on the mountaintop. We live below. And it's interesting that in Scripture, Jesus doesn't respond to Peter's request for them to stay there. It just says they went back down the mountain. They went back down 
Again, mountaintop experiences, powerful. Some of you wouldn't be here today if you hadn't had those. They're a good thing. But I also think those mountaintop experiences are dangerous. They're, they're, they're dangerous in the sense that the, for some, commitment only lasts as long as that emotional experience. And when the feeling fades, when we're not on the mountaintop, then so does our interest in things. Following gets tough. Things get difficult in our lives. When that crisis hits, when the, when the challenge comes, instead of walking on, we walk away. I want you to imagine for a moment. This is going to challenge some of you. But I want you to imagine that we're all going to run a marathon. This entire room. I want you to picture it. Nylon shorts, a tee. I know it's not pretty, but go with me. You're at the starting line. The gun sounds. And you start running. I mean, you, you're sprinting. You're, you're running as fast as you can. But at some point, you're going to get exhausted. At some point, you're going to get tired. For some, that'll be 100 yards. But at some point, it's going to start hurting. And you're going to look around and realize that people have dropped out of the race. And you're going to be confronted with a serious decision. Will you finish? Will you finish? I was watching the early show uh, this past week in uh, Dallas Braden. He was the pitcher for the A's that threw the perfect game. There's only been 18 other pitchers that have ever done that in the majors. And he did it on Mother's Day. And, and this is better than a no-hitter because this means he didn't walk anyone. No one ever got on base. Harry Smith asked him about what this is going to mean to his career. I think he was getting at it. He's going to get a big head about it. But he, he's talking to him, and I love Braden's answer to the question because he says, we can talk about the achievement, and we can talk about the day and the, the special meaning behind it. His mom had passed away. But he says, ultimately... That does not get us to the playoffs. That does not get us to the postseason. And it doesn't guarantee me another start. And here's the line I liked. He said, there's work to be done. And it's a marathon, not a sprint. The Christian life is not a sprint, friends. It it is a marathon. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about how do you walk with God? How, How do you take that up a notch? And I'm speaking to you as someone that's walked with God for more than 35 years of my life, actively sought God. And I know the Christian life is not a 100-meter dash. It is a marathon. It is a lifelong journey. I mean, how do you keep walking with God? How do you keep going? How How do you run the race? How do you live a life that is pleasing to God? How do you finish well, walk on? Walk on, walk on. And I want to look at a group of Christians in Scripture that I think we're in similar circumstances that we find ourselves. These were first century Jews that had embraced uh, the faith, that embraced Jesus Christ as their Savior. And, and they got off to a fantastic start. And the writer of Hebrews is writing and he says, Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, 
even though it meant what? Terrible suffering. Early on, they, they pushed through. They, they kept going. They hit a problem, apparently, and now they're beginning to feel the pressure. They're beginning to feel the dangers. And the writer here is encouraging them to stay in the race, to walk on, not walk out, walk on in their lives. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd, cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That passage, and this is what we're going to kind of center on today, is loaded. I mean, if you're going to keep walking on, he says one of the things is you've got to find strength from those that have gone before you. You know, to, to look to those from, from the past. In other words, the, the Bible's not there simply as a history record or a collection of moral guidelines. I mean, it provides that for us. But the Bible's geared toward instruction, toward growth. You know, Paul writes, this is for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of Scripture, we might have hope. So the writers writing, not just to those first century Christians, I think he was writing to us. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, He's saying, as you think about your race, not your neighbor's race, not your spouse's race, your race, think about the other people that have gone before you because you can learn from them. You know, in order to to understand that cloud of witnesses, you really need to read chapter 11. I encourage you to use that for your devotion this week, to read the chapter, because it's a long list. It's a Hall of Fame group, an all-star group. They are people that are really well-known that are listed, like uh, Moses, Abraham. And then there are people mentioned that really we don't know a lot about them. I mean, sometimes these individuals were ridiculed for their faith. They were mistreated. They they were called to leave and to go to a foreign land. Some of them had to walk away from fame and fortune. And some of them paid the ultimate price and gave their life for Jesus Christ. But they all had one thing in common. They had unwavering faith. They never quit. They never walked out. The end of the chapter, when you get to the end, is saying that when the race was over for them and they left this planet, they were still pressing on. And because they, they walked with God, they kept pushing, which doesn't mean that they lived comfortable lives. It didn't mean that things were easy. In fact, it was quite the opposite for many of them. Oftentimes, they they had lives that meant that they had to sacrifice. They had hardships. And when God lists them in Hebrews 11, that they had lived these incredible lives, incredible character, incredible faith, it says the world was not worthy of them. And I think, wow, can you imagine? You know, as the, the writer looking at our race, he's saying... Let them serve as an example to you. Let them encourage you. Let their testimony help you persevere. 
remember several years ago, I was visiting a, a church, a very expressive church. And, uh, I mean, people were dancing and people were rolling in the aisles and people, I mean, it was off, off the chart and they loved God. But I remember the pastor, when he, when he would preach, he would get to a point, he'd make a point. And then he'd go, can I get a witness? And people would start yelling out, amen, you know, I, I've been there. You know, praise God. And what the pastor was saying was, how many of you can testify that this is true? And they would shout their testimony. They'd say, you're right, I've been there. That happened in my life. That's the picture of Hebrews 12. You know, the author standing before a congregation like ours. People that needed to persevere. And he says, can I get a witness? And I kind of picture uh, Noah raising his hand. I can testify. 120 years I built an ark. I had no converts. It didn't rain. I kept telling them it was going to for 120 years. But I, but I kept building and I kept waiting and I kept walking on with God. And it was worth it. It was absolutely worth it. I picture Abraham's hand going up. I can testify to that. I can testify that even when it requires sacrifice, even when it gets really hard, I walked on with God and it was worth it. And one by one by one, there's these testimonies of faith. But they're not the only ones that the writer's pointing to. In fact, there there are people here today that are testimonies of faith. The the fact is, if you want to grow in your faith, If you want to walk on with God through the hard times, you absolutely need to hang around people that have a passion for God. I mean, think for a moment. Who is it in your life? What name comes to mind as I'm saying that, that when you're around them, your faith soars? You know, when you are with them, you're just drawn closer to Jesus Christ. See, I believe if you want to grow, if you want to persevere, if you want to walk on, you've got to look to the witnesses in your life, to people that are going on before you, that have been through it. I also think that you've got to learn to put off things that that trip us all up in life. You know, Scripture says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. You know, let's get rid of that stuff. Stuff that, that strangles us, that, that entangles us. You know, a few years ago, uh, London Marathon, Lloyd Scott, he was a runner. He set the record, get this, the slowest marathon ever. He did it for a fundraiser. He ran in a deep dive suit. It's the ones with the iron helmets. I mean, it's like lead. The whole thing, he ran this race. He finished this 26.2-mile race. Five days, eight hours, 29 minutes, and 46 seconds. Can you imagine? And I thought about that, and I thought, you know, I know a lot of Christians. That's how they're running the race. They're running the race. They've got these piles of stuff that is slowing them down and is tearing them apart, but they're going to carry all this stuff. The scriptures identify a couple things. One, there's the ungodly stuff, you know, sin that we carry in our life. 
That's why I'm always encouraging you to read your Bible, spend time in prayer, because there's something that happens when you read your Bible and spend time in God's Word. You begin to see yourself more clearly. And I'll give you a heads up, sometimes that's not pleasant. Sometimes you come face to face with the reality of sin in your life. Sometimes God, through the Holy Spirit, points it out and says, these things got to go. They need to go. You need to get rid of them. In fact, as I'm talking, some of you, things are going through your mind. You know you need to get rid of them. You know they're wrong. You know what God thinks about it. You know that it's hindering you from your relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a deceitful practice in your business or at the office. Perhaps your heart's getting kind of cold. That doesn't bother you so much anymore. You know you need to let go, but you just hold on. Friends, God's not pointing that stuff out because he wants to steal your life. That's not what he wants to do. He's not wanting to, like, look at your life and go, okay, how can I make their life have zero fun? God's pointing it out because he wants you to let go of it before it begins to corrode and destroy you. I mean, not only do you have to let go of sin, but I think you have to let go of some things that are unnecessary in this world. And this one's a little more subtle. This one's a little harder to identify because it's not necessarily sin. It's just unnecessary. It entangles you. It could be that you're just too busy. You know, you're too busy, so you really kind of back burner God in your relationship. You don't really pursue, you don't have time for God. You know, some of you, and I've said this a lot, some of you have got your kids in too many activities. And what's happening is the faith is suffering, their faith is suffering, which should alarm you. And your family's suffering because it's all taking a back seat to the stuff. For some, it's just priorities get all warped and and out of sync. It says share in suffering like a good soldier of Christ, Jesus. No one serves in the army, gets entangled in everyday affairs. The soldier's aim is to please the enlisting officer. In other words, Paul's saying there's nothing wrong with civil affairs. They're not wrong. They're not sinful. They're not immoral. They're just unnecessary. They're they're distracting. They they divide you. They divide the heart. In other words, fill in this blank. In order to walk on with God, I need to let go of what? What is it? What is it that you need to let go of? Again, it might be something that's wrong, that's sin, or it might just be something that's just unnecessary and it's keeping you from great things. You're doing some good things maybe, but it's keeping you from the great things. If you're going to walk on, you also have to make a choice. Are you going to persevere in your life? You have to make a choice that you're going to cross the finish line. It's something you decide ahead of time. The writer says, and let us run with what? Perseverance. The race marked out for us. It's interesting, that word race, it's where we get the word agony in Scripture also. Because greatness oftentimes 
is defined by what I believe is people's ability to overcome the obstacles and the failures in their life in the past and and persevere in the present, be able to push through it. It's uh, Walt Disney, fired from the newspaper. You know why? Lack of ideas. How'd you like to have been the person that ditched him? Michael Jordan didn't make the, the te- his high school team because they cut him. You know. Beethoven, he, he had trouble dealing with violins. And so his teacher said that he had no hope as a composer. Albert Einstein, arguably one of the brightest men uh, of any era, but definitely of, of the last century. He did so poorly in school, except for math, that his teachers, when he was in eighth grade, told his parents to pull him out of school. He would never make anything of himself. And here's what I think. In the race of life, God is more interested in how you finish than how fast you start. Now, I like what Nietzsche says. He says, the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there is a long obedience in the same direction. Everything in culture revolts against that. We want easy. We want quick. We want convenient. We want it to be simple. And I believe if I had to put a finger on one of the greatest problems in the church today is that Christians, Christians have this passion to have these religious mountaintop experiences, deep passion for it. But we are not very enthusiastic for the slow, many times painful things that will help us grow, help us grow our faith, to help us grow our character. It requires discipline, requires obedience, perseverance. You know, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, unmovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Faith, faith about perseverance. In other words, no matter how difficult it gets, no matter how scary it gets, no matter what you face, that you're still faithful, that you walk on in your faith. You walk on and you walk on, and you just keep walking. Now, can I get a witness to that? 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says, I can be a witness to that. I can testify to that. I have been imprisoned. I've been flogged. I've been close to death again and again and again. I've been beaten with 39 lashes five times, which, by the way, most people died from. I've been beaten with rods three times. He says, I've been stoned one time. I've been shipwrecked three times. I'm thinking, three times? I mean, can you imagine that? In other words, if I had been going on a cruise and I saw Paul getting on board, I'd have cashed my ticket in and said, I'll go on the next one, you know. No, thank you. Paul Paul says, I went without sleep. I've went without food. I have been cold. I have been naked. I never gave up. Nothing could keep Paul from that commitment. Nothing could quench the passion that he had for Jesus Christ in his life. Because Paul had settled ahead of time 
that he was going to be steadfast, that he was going to be unmovable, that he, he had made up his mind that no matter what, he was going to keep showing up, he was going to keep serving, he was going to keep teaching, he was going to keep leading, he was going to keep walking with God as long as he had breath. You know, I wonder, what does God want you to keep doing in your life? You now, where do you need to persevere? You know, is it in a small group? Is it in your prayer life? Is it serving? Is it giving? Is it teaching? Is it, is it something with, with your family or your kids? Where, where do you need to persevere? I also know that if you're going to keep walking on with God, you've got to fix your focus in life. And you notice it says, let us fix our eyes on who? Jesus. You notice it doesn't say, let us fix our eyes on the church. Let let us fix our eyes on faith fellowship. Let's fix our eyes on the Pope. Let's fix our eyes on a pastor. Let's fix our eyes on other Christians. It doesn't say that. And incidentally, those things will disappoint you. I tell people that all the time. They come in and they visit the first time and they're like, wow, everything, I just love it. And they're telling me all this. And I said, well, stick around. We'll we'll mess it up for you. (laughs) We will. I'll make you mad someday. It's okay. It says, fix your eyes on Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Because that's where you find strength. That's where you find the strength to endure. That's where you find the strength to continue the marathon of the Christian life. I mean, how do you fix your eyes on Jesus? Well, I can tell you it doesn't happen automatically. It requires focus. In fact, the the Greek for fix is the idea of concentration, intentional. You know, speed and focus, not good partners. I've learned that one the hard way. Life is a race, but you cannot develop spiritual intimacy. You cannot develop a strong relationship with God on the run. We we live in a world that, honestly, the pace of life, it just continues to accelerate. A lot of us, if we were honest, we're addicted to that speed. We, we cram every hour so full that we have no margin in our lives. We try and do everything that we can. We want to do everything. And we do it as quick as we can. Now, I think Stephen Wright, he, I was doing some reading the other day, and he said, I put instant coffee in the microwave, and I almost went back in time. Do you know that most elevators in the United States, the door close button on the elevator, it's a dummy. It's not even hooked up. doesn't function. They, they, they simply put them there because they know someone's going to be on the elevator and they think 10 seconds is an eternity. We, we are in such a hurry. But you know what's worse than a hurried life? A hurried spirit. A hurried spirit. The fact is, we need to keep focusing 
on Jesus Christ. Because if we don't, it drains your soul. It shatters the soul. It's interesting when you read through Scripture, you, you never have it recorded where Jesus goes, guys, come on, hurry up. we got to get there. Hurry up. Let's go. Come on. Jesus always took time. He took time to be alone with his father. He guarded his time. He he took time to get away from everything. He would get alone on on a boat or on a mountainside or in a garden to replenish his soul, to spend time with his father. I mean, how important is it? You know, Paul says in Philippians 3.8, he says, more than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Paul, Paul's saying, there is nothing more important than my relationship and than me knowing Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul's saying, it is more important to be than to be doing in life. You know, I would encourage you, whether you keep a calendar or you got a PDA or BlackBerry, iPhone, whatever, however you keep your schedule, to just look through it. Look at the stuff that you put in there. You know, and look at things like a, a meeting or a doctor's appointment. And you know how you enter that. You go, okay, i got to be there, i got to do that. I'd suggest you take every day and you find a time and you pencil it in, you plug it in, you enter it, and say, this is my time with God. How many of you work out? You got a certain time every day, don't you? I mean, I know how that that goes. The, The fact is, you've got a certain time, and so what you do is uh, someone calls and they go, hey, can you do such and such? Yeah, 5.30, I was thinking. And what you do is you say, well, uh, I'm sorry, I'm I'm working out. Or you say, I've already got something planned. I'm tied up from 5 to 6, but I could do something a little bit after 6. What I'm suggesting is guard your time with God. Guard your time the same way you would anything else. And here's the last thing. If you're going to walk on, if you're going to walk on with God, you've got to be willing to endure suffering so that you can see God smile in the end. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. And see, finally, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Paul's saying, Jesus endured the cross. He endured that agony. He endured that shame. Jesus did that because he was looking to the joy in the future. He was looking to the finish line. He was looking to the day he would sit next to his father. He endured that difficulty because he understood this life is not all there is. There is a finish line. There is life after the finish line. You know, Paul says we never gave up. We never gave up. Our bodies are are gradually dying. But we ourselves are being made stronger every day. These little troubles, they're getting us ready. 
ready for an eternal glory that will be ours and will make these troubles seem like nothing. Paul says that. Some of you, some of you are going through tough times right now, difficult situations. Keep pressing. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Keep your eye on heaven. Walk on, walk on, walk on. Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. He says that in Philippians 3. He says, part of what motivates me, part of what keeps me moving is the prize of heaven. You know, he doesn't say, I'm able to endure because I know uh, what? I know I'll be healed. I'll be able to endure because I know everything's going to work out just the way I planned. It doesn't say, I'm going to be able to endure because I'm going to get what I want. That's not what he says. He says, I am able to endure because someday heaven will be mine. Stories told in John when Jesus fed the 5,000. Little boy brought his lunch. Jesus took five loaves of bread and two fish and he feeds everyone. And the miracle isn't that everybody ate. The miracle was everybody ate everything that they wanted. The next day, Jesus had went to the other side of of the sea. The same crowd tracked him down around lunchtime. And you have this interesting discussion because Jesus turns to him and he says, you only came and found me because I fed you yesterday. Life is more than food. And then he goes on teaching why he came, what, what it's about, what the Christian walk was to be about. And when he finishes, the people go, that's a really hard teaching. And I think this is one of the saddest scriptures that most people just jump over. It goes, after this, many of his disciples turned their back and no longer walked with him. Ouch. This is hard. I mean, I imagine Jesus delivered a passionate message that there's more to life than this. Keep your eye on eternity. Live with eternity in mind. And the people go, no thanks. And they just walked. They walked away. They walked off. Scripture says that Jesus turned to the twelve, talking about the disciples that traveled with him. He says, do you want to go away as well? Here we go, Simon. He always jumps in. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. At some point, at some point in your walk with God, you have got to drive the stakes down. You've got to take a stand in your faith and say, with my one and only life that you have given me, God, I will persevere. I will persevere no matter where it leads me. 
no matter what I face, no matter how difficult the situation may be, I will follow you, not because you feed me, not because you bless me. I will follow you because, Jesus, you are who you say you are. And where else would I go? I will follow you for the rest of my life. When the race gets hard, and it will, you walk on. When, when God seems distant, and he feels like that sometimes, walk on. You know, when, when you're confused, walk on. When you stand alone, and you will sometimes, walk on. When you lose, and you will, walk on. When things don't go the way that you planned, walk on. Because whatever you face in this world, it pales in comparison to finishing the race, finish strong, and hearing God say, well done, good and faithful servant. Walk on. Walk on, walk on. Watch this. 